0: Hey everybody, it's Allie and welcome to our YR chat for Sunday, April 21st, 2013. Avery and Dylan's relationship runs much deeper than we knew. Years ago, they had an affair and Avery became pregnant. And They were excited about it. They were in love. They were planning their life together. And unfortunately, she lost the baby. And that's when and why they drifted apart, um... They decided to go their separate ways. Dylan went on a tour of duty. Avery threw herself into her work and in some ways, I think she closed herself off to the idea of happily ever after. Just assuming that that was something that wasn't meant for her. And to complicate things, Avery felt like losing the baby was punishment for the affair that they had. So she allowed herself to believe that she didn't deserve to be a mother. And her discomfort around children was painfully obvious when she was around Faith this week. So Nick needs a babysitter. Avery is the only option, and they're engaged. Avery is going to be Faith's stepmother. And so Avery and Faith are alone together for the first time. And understandably... Faith is scared. She doesn't really know Avery. They haven't spent a whole lot of time one-on-one together and also Faith has had a lot of change in her life. She's been through a lot uh, with her parents together, not together. I mean, there's been a lot of different players in her life and it makes sense that she would not feel um, exactly warm with Avery yet. They haven't had time to develop a relationship. Nick and Avery haven't even been Dating for that long. So Faith was scared. Avery was painfully uncomfortable. It made me cringe to see Avery trying to connect with Faith and missing every single time. She tried reading to Faith. She tried. Talking to Faith, uh, as a last ditch effort, she brings out this plate of cookies and says to Faith, cookies are the only thing I have left. (laughs) This is the only thing that I can do that I think might possibly work to bring us together. And there is a moment where Faith reaches over and takes one of the cookies, and you think, maybe, maybe they're going to connect, and then Faith just takes the cookie and throws it across the room. I'm telling you, the thing Avery just needs to learn is that kids can smell fear on you, (laughs) like a bear, (laughs) in a way. You have to be confident with them. And to Avery, this was, I think, heartbreaking, but I think it was also so much more. I think it further reinforced uh, that she felt she was not able to be a mother or fit to be a mother, and It made her re-question her decision to marry Nick. And it also didn't help that she had just recently had this heart-to-heart conversation with Dylan talking about their lost child and talking about They're lost love. There is a sad story um, between these two people. And Dylan believes that they are still in love, that they have a connection that is not just going to go away, that there's still a possibility. He's still holding on to a shred of hope that they might be able to get back together. And he actually asks her to marry him instead. Don't marry Nick. Marry me. And Avery... Wasn't expecting that. She was overwhelmed because she does love Dylan, but she's now made this commitment to Nick. Avery is such a doll. I really, I like the actress. She has a pain that's almost childlike. There's something about her that's just so sweet that I identify with. She's very sensitive. I think she puts out a very rough, uh, brave front. And the more we've gotten to know her, she is very sensitive. And so she starts to crumble as she realizes exactly how torn between these two men she is. And she has to tell Dylan, no, she can't marry him. And the reason that she gave was that she thinks their love is tainted. And Whereas opposed to her love with Nick is a love without pain. Which I thought was an interesting statement and just made me think I don't think there is such a thing as love without pain. I think love, true, rounded, full love, has happiness and joy and but it also has the element of sadness and pain and loss all of those things seem to be encompassed you can't just take the good and not have the bad her and nick haven't had a chance to experience the bad yet but th- that that's part of it and I, I mean if you love someone there is a, a loss whether it's even you know a loss of that person specifically or a loss of a part of yourself or you know whatever it is love isn't all birds and hearts and chirping and romance and sunshine. That's just not how it is. So I thought her argument was just a little, maybe immature in a way. I think there might be something about Avery that's a little bit, uh, stunted, like growth wise. Like maybe she is a little bit immature, but Dylan heard what she said and he didn't need to be told twice. He, Decides to sell the ring that he came into town with um, and he's ready to leave. Um, it was weird. There was this scene between Dylan and this private pawnbroker, I guess. This guy meets him at Crimson Lights. I don't know how many pawnbrokers show up in a suit. <laughs> like, it's not like he was pawning a million dollar ring here. That ring was probably wasn't worth three grand. <laughs> Not to be a jerk, but Dylan would probably be lucky if he got three grand out of that ring and the guy just takes it, gives him the money. No inspection of the diamond, nothing. He just takes it and leaves. And it was sad for Dylan. It's weird how I tangent and notice the oddest things. But I used to work for a jeweler. That's probably why. <laughs> but Dylan decides he's gonna sell it off. That's Something he was holding on to with hope, and now there is no hope. So he sells the ring. He calls Avery, and uh, Avery is with Nick in this moment, at, at post the Faith incident, telling Nick, I'm sorry, Nick, but your daughter hates me. She gets this phone call from Dylan, and she makes up an excuse to get out of there. And she lies and leaves Nick to go meet Dylan at the coffee house because Dylan has requested and and he was very insistent upon it that they needed to meet and he didn't want to give any details over the phone he just wanted her to be there and she shows up he hands Avery the money that he was able to get from the sale of the ring says that he has magically somehow been able to move his court date up and now he's ready to leave again again So they're in this position of having yet another goodbye. This has happened before. And it pretty much repeated itself as to what happened before when he said he was going to leave, before he got into the legal trouble. He says he's leaving. She asks him to stay. She, you know, I think she loves him. I think she loves him and wants him around. I think she misses their friendship, misses their connection. She thought he was dead. She, even if she can't have him in a relationship sense, I think she wants him as a friend, but it's not fair to ask him to stay. She can't have it both ways. If if they're not going to be able to be together, then Dylan deserves to be able to move on with his life, but it, I thought it was telling that every time he tries to go, she doesn't want him to leave. So they're saying a goodbye and embracing at the coffee house when Nick walks in and sees now i don't know if nick followed her there what did do you guys have an opinion on that because i nick maybe suspected that something was up the way she took the phone call and kind of rushed out i wonder if he followed her or if it was a coincidence i'm not sure but he Goes to the coffee house, sees them embracing, and naturally he's pissed. She lied to him, uh, and she goes to not only did she lie to him, but now she's going off to meet with her ex. And I think Nick is worried that she's lying to herself about her feelings for Dylan. I think that's what's on all of our minds. And Nick's like, <sighs> I've been down this road before. He interrupts him and has a conversation with Avery and says, I'm not willing to do this again. If I want this next relationship to be uncomplicated. I have two marriages under my belt. I don't want to be in a situation where you're really in love with someone else or we're going to have to have Dylan up in our faces all of the time. I don't want this for us. And she calms him down, reassures him. But Nick turns around and naturally goes to confront Dylan. That's what Nick does best. I think Nick loves getting in fights. I think he was sort of hoping it would become a fight. That's just how he is. (laughs) But it didn't. It didn't end up escalating into a physical fight, but the two guys exchanged words. Nick's telling Dylan he wants him to get out of town. He even said, what, do you want me to draw you a map? (laughs) Just leave. You're not wanted here. And Nick kind of tried to make some insinuations about Dylan's motives, saying, the more you're around, the more I wonder if this is all calculated. Are you trying to make Avery feel bad? And Dylan said, you know, you don't know me at all. So you can't make these assumptions about me. And Dylan is someone, I think, who is genuine. (laughs) The writers have gone to very great lengths to make us really trust Dylan and think that he's genuinely a good guy. He is still suffering from this post-traumatic stress disorder. He had another flashback this week of the situation where his uh, army buddy died in front of him, and he flashes out of that scene and is f- kind of meditating almost on Avery and her name. Like, Avery and the idea of her was the only thing that got him through this trauma And now the only touchstone that he had is gone. So he has to find a way to move on with his life. He packs up his things, and he again tries to leave Genoa City. He's ready to just move on down the road. Now, Nick and Avery are at her apartment having an open conversation about both of their motives. She questions whether Nick only proposed to her because he was afraid he would lose her to Dylan. Um, He's questioning whether or not she is still in love with Dylan and really wants to be married. So they hash all of this out, get all of this into the uh, open, and decide to move forward together with their wedding. The only one problem (laughs) is a redhead named Phyllis. (laughs) Phyllis! is in Istanbul right now with Jack. They're having a good time going shopping and having a little um, a Turkish dinner. <laughs> just a really cute scene of trying some different foods and some different drinks. And oh, getting a massage and just really relaxing and feeling decadent. And they're almost secluded. They're very, well, they're definitely secluded. They're far away from all of the problems that haunt them in Genoa City, and they're just enjoying the relaxation, enjoying each other's company. But Phyllis has no idea that Nick and Avery are taking it to the next level, that they're planning on getting married. Dating is one thing, but this is a major turn of events. She and Jack are getting really cozy with one another and Jack ends up asking her to move in with him so that they can keep riding this wave of pleasure and she agrees. Phyllis decides to move in with Jack and I'm worried about this though because I think that seeing Phyllis's reaction to learning about her sister and her ex-husband getting married is going to be very telling. I think that learning this information may push Phyllis tighter into Jack's arms,
1: but is it for the right reasons? Chloe and Chelsea are hanging out at the
0: underground. And Dylan is off in the corner talking to Avery. And the two girls are... Oggling him hardcore. Chloe has no idea that Dylan is the man that Chelsea slept with. And she is on this kick of, it's a girl's night out. We got to have fun. We got to get you laid. She's pushing hard for, we got to find you a baby daddy. <laughs> She's going on and on about Dylan, about him, like, wanting to see him wearing just a smile and a glistening layer of sweat. Like, she's pushing so hard, really, really selling it, and it starts to make Chelsea uncomfortable because she's seen him (laughs) in that sexy sex situation. And Chelsea's reaction Eventually just gives it right away. Chloe guesses that Dylan is the one that Chelsea slept with and is prodding, prodding, prodding for her to go through with the plan to dupe him. Oh, poor guy. So while the hens are clucking (laughs) over Dylan, Adam is back home at the mansion. I was hoping we'd never have to see that set again. I thought he was moving to the condo. I don't need to see any more of the mansion. I'm done with that smoky old set. Let's get him to his new fresh condo. But he's there with Sharon. And it's post, you know, this whole shooting trauma. He's wounded. He's weak. And Sharon is there dressing his wounds, helping to take care of him. And she obviously lusts over him he takes off his shirt i was lusting over him <laughs> but he takes off his shirt and she's trying to like um you know dress his wound on his back and her mind just starts wandering and she begins to caress him just up on the shoulders. And it was hilarious. Adam had to remind her where the wound is. The wound is on my back Sharon and not down my pants. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. She didn't go down his pants, but I was wishing that she would. (laughs) I love Sharon. Taking care of Adam. I love her as the nurse. It was funny to see her ripping off his bandage to change it and him like, oh, that hurt. (laughs) Sharon wants to help him recover. And if it happens to indulge some of her desires, then so be it. She actually offered to move back in with him. She doesn't have anything else going on right now. She's decided to leave Newman Enterprises. And so what does she have to focus on other than her recovery? And there's no reason you can't get a little satisfaction while you recover, both of them. But Adam... Doesn't think it's a good idea. She's resigned this position at Newman Enterprises. She's trying to get her life together. She's trying to move on. She really has her own recovery to think about. (sighs) Well... Sharon leaves Adam and goes to the coffee house, and she runs in to Chelsea. And Chelsea sees Sharon right away and starts, kind of flags her down and starts to interrogate her a little bit about Adam's condition. And Sharon was very uh, curt with Chelsea. Says, "Uh, I don't want you, you need to be done using me as a conduit to Adam. I'm not just going to give you information about him. If you want to have a relationship with Adam. If you want to know how he's doing, why don't you go ask him? I think Sharon's getting tired of trying to push them together because she has been trying to reunite them despite her own desires. So Sharon says, I, I think I'm, I, I think you need to handle Adam all on your own. And they start to argue. It becomes kind of cat fight-ish and it resulted in like Sharon kind of like, I don't know. Chelsea drops her bag on the floor and her prenatal vitamins roll out onto the floor, which is the second time that's happened. Come on, maybe you should keep your prenatal vitamins in your office or something, not on your purse where you keep dropping it when you're trying to hide a pregnancy. But they drop on the floor. Sharon <laughs> makes a beeline to go grab them, sees what they are, realizes that Chelsea is pregnant, and right away, her first reaction is Does Adam know? And Chelsea played it like a pro. Like, she's been practicing this this whole time and immediately responds, it's not his. And Sharon is shocked. It was like double shock. Like, you're pregnant? And it's not Adams? So it was a very uh, just enlightening moment for Sharon. Her dreams are kind of coming true. I think all Sharon really needed was a good excuse to just, Wrap herself in the warm glow of Adam. (laughs) And now, here's the perfect opportunity. Chelsea's moving on in a big, big way. Sharon actually had a dream. She goes home, has a sexual dream about Adam. She's dreaming that he shows up at her door drunk, (laughs) and he professes his feelings for her, and they share a kiss. He kisses her, and it was so sexy. I knew it couldn't be. I was like, this is so hot. It has to be a dream, because you know how they always fake you out. It's like, they give it to you, and then all of a sudden, it's a dream. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it was very, very sexy, but... The reality is Adam did not go drunk to Sharon's house. He went drunk to Chelsea's office to go talk with her. It was apparently their baby's due date, the child that they lost in the car accident. That today would have been Chelsea's due date. And so Adam goes to talk to her like he wants to console her. But I think it was more like he needed some consoling and Chelsea realized that Right away, she said, I was hurting too. You know, when we lost the baby, it wasn't just all about you and your pain. I was hurting and I needed you and you abandoned me. So don't come to me now and ask for my support. Why do I don't know that to you at all? So she was very cold with him. It was definitely not the bonding moment that Adam was hoping to have. I think he went there th- hoping that there would be some moment of connection between them and it just wasn't there. So he leaves and the next morning he goes to work and Sharon stops by to pick up her things. Again, I don't know. I don't know why Sharon has to leave Newman Enterprises. I didn't necessarily want her running the company, but I think that she's done a wonderful job. She, I like seeing Sharon in charge, and I'm sad that she's not going to be working there anymore. I loved her business attire. I think it was good for her mental state to have a project to focus on. So I'm, I am sad about that. Uh, but... Adam is, you know, there in his office, and he starts to talk to Sharon about having seen Chelsea the previous night, and he asks Sharon's opinion as to whether or not she thinks that they'll ever be able to get back together. Now, Sharon has this information about Chelsea's pregnancy. It's been under huge lock and key, and now Sharon knows, and she tells Adam, I don't know. I used to think maybe you guys would get back together, but now I'm not so sure. I just, I, she implies that she knows something, and Adam pries it out of her, and she ends up telling him that Chelsea is pregnant, and he immediately assumes it's his, of course, as did she, and she says, no, no, I thought you understood it's not your baby, and Adam Blows up. Sharon had to know that he was gonna blow up. I mean, if you didn't, if you knew that you shouldn't, weren't going to tell him, then you just should have not told him. You should have not even given a little bit. But she did. She opened up just a little bit of the door, and Adam grabbed that information out of her, and he stood up immediately and rushed out of the office to go find Chelsea. I don't know if he thought that she was lying, or if he was just angry. or It's probably all of the above. It's a secret that she's been keeping from him. He wants to know the truth, so he goes to Crimson Lights to find her, where she's sitting with Dylan. They're having a little tete-a-tete, and Dylan's about to leave town. Yeah, he's not going to be leaving town now because he and Chelsea are sitting together. When Adam confronts her, he first says to Chelsea, is it true? Are you pregnant? And then he turns to Dylan and says, did you sleep with my wife? (laughs) Was it you? Are you the father? Did you sleep with my wife? Oh, (laughs) are Adam and Chelsea still married? I thought they were divorced, or maybe they're just on their way to divorce, but Adam was clearly very uh, territorial in that moment, Uh, but he's seen them together before, I think at the athletic club or something, so he's not really shocked that it would be Dylan that would be the father, so Chelsea's secret is out, (laughs) and it's forcing her to make a decision. Do I tell the truth? Or do I tell Adam that Dylan is the father? And from the previews of Monday's show, it shows that Dylan is already stepping up, asking questions about the, the baby. I was she's clearly told, she's she clearly made a decision in the moment that she can't tell Adam. That is the number one most important thing in her mind. Can't tell Adam, therefore, sorry, Dylan, my hand got forced. And so it looks like Dylan is already stepping up and It looks like Adam is already moving on with Sharon because he's going to go right to her and decide to bam. Well, hopefully, bam. (laughs) I don't know, you guys. The die has been cast. Personally... I don't really care if Chelsea ever tells Adam the truth. I mean, I feel awful, of course, that Dylan has gotten hooked into Chelsea's con. But uh, at the same time, my desire for Adam and Sharon to be together
1: is much stronger than that. Victor and Adam working together, side by side. Oh,
0: what a world. (laughs) Trying to be not only business partners, but father and son at the same time. It's a big step. It's a lot to swallow. I'm afraid they've bitten off more than they can chew. But, Victor calls a meeting of his other children to, well, for one thing, invite them to Nikki's birthday party, but also to break the news to them that he's going back to Newman Enterprises to work side-by-side with Adam. So Nick and Victoria and Abby are sitting there in disbelief. Let's just take this opportunity to speculate (laughs) about new Abby. Feel free to leave me a comment and let me know what you think so far about new Abby. Uh, she hasn't said very much. She's had two lines, so it's, of course, very difficult to really dig in and and have any formed opinions. I think, I just will say this, I think new Abby is cute, very different. Her delivery on even the couple of lines that she's had has been very uh, kind of a matter of fact. Uh, Obviously, she hasn't had much room to do anything creative, but the thing is, Abby as played by Marcy Ryland, the former actress, has a big personality. I think those are going to be some really hard shoes to fill. So we'll just have to keep our eyes open and see how it goes. Meanwhile, Nick and Victoria and Abby are learning this information from Victor that he's going back to work with Adam. And... (laughs) Everyone is salty about it. Every single one of them is salty about it. But no one really wants to help out at the company either. It's like they don't want to work for the company, but they damn sure don't want Adam to work there. So it's kind of hypocritical. But Victor's got his foot in the door now. There's really no going back. And he and Adam seem to have the arrangement that Adam is primarily going to be in control But I cannot see that Victor is going to stand for that. Victor seems to agree with it and go along with it, but I just don't think that's going to last very long at all. There was a a scene of Victor going back into Newman Enterprises, going back into his office and sitting down in his chair. Trust, he is only pretending to take the passenger seat. It's not going to last. So, Nikki's birthday party at on the boulevard. Victor invites even Adam. So it's Adam and uh uh Nick and Victoria. I don't remember I don't think Abby ended up going to that, but um it's a celebration, a family celebration, and they're trying to bring Adam into the family. And as soon as Nikki and Victor get to the restaurant, Adam is already there at the bar sneaking a drink post-operation. He's drinking after just getting out of the hospital, this guy. And it appears on the surface that everyone is really, really trying. Uh, Adam even gives Nikki a, a gift. It was a little Bird of peace figurine, I guess, sort of the proverbial olive branch, wanting to kind of make things all right between uh, Nikki in order to make things all right with with Victor. Now, side note: Catherine shows up at the restaurant, I think, completely by coincidence, and Nikki runs over to talk to Catherine like Catherine where have you been? I mean, you missed my wedding. You really haven't called me. You've had lunch with Victor, but still not with me. And obviously, Nikki was very hurt about that. And I was hurt about that. I mean, Catherine's had a lot on her mind. Uh, uh, No pun intended or not a lot on her mind. I don't know. Catherine opens up to Nikki, mostly, Tells her that she's thought she had Alzheimer's, but that's not it. But doesn't really give a whole lot of details. Just sort of says that it's under control. Um, she, I mean, Catherine has sworn Kane to secrecy. She doesn't want anyone to know the details. But I just wish that Catherine would have confided more in Nikki. I want Nikki to be there. For Catherine throughout that, like that, this the Nikki Catherine relationship is the relationship friendship I want to see, and we're just not getting it. And uh, th- just the distance between them, I felt quite a lot in that scene, and it, it was it was very sad. But Catherine leaves, and Nikki goes on about her party. It's uh, Nick and Victoria and Billy. And Adam and Victor and Nikki all sitting at the table having her birthday, a little, little birthday cake, a little fun. And Victoria cannot get over the information that Victor and Adam are going to be working together. She is very suspicious of Adam and his motives in bringing Victor back into the company. I think, obviously. She's appreciative of Adam saving Victor's life, but she's not ready to open her heart wide up and her arms wide up and welcome Adam back into the family. And it is painfully awkward with Victoria. Like they're having this <laughs> supposed to be celebration for Nikki's birthday, and Victoria cannot get over it. She keeps going on and on, like trying to. A pretend that she's fine with Adam being there, and she's just not. She's so suspicious. I honestly think that there's a large chunk of it that is about Victoria not liking the fact that Adam's getting all of this positive attention. On some level, I feel like it's jealousy, and it feels like the same type of jealousy that she had when Adam came into town in the first place. She didn't really ever give him a chance. And then when he screwed up, she thought, oh, well, I was justified. And so she's just not in the same place as everyone else. But I don't know who she thinks she's fooling by being overly accommodating. Oh, yes, uh, you know, we're very appreciative of you, Adam. But she's obviously uncomfortable about it. I think she was so annoyed by it that she announces out of the blue that she wants to go back to work with Victor and Adam at Newman Enterprises, which was much to the shock of everyone at the table, including Billy. She did not discuss this with her husband. She decides to go back to work without even talking to Billy about it because it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. She just made that decision on the fly in reaction to all of the positive attention that Adam was getting. She doesn't want to work at Newman Enterprises, but she doesn't want Adam to have control. Like, as if Victor's not a big enough boy to take care of himself. She has to be there to look after him, too. Like, she says she's doing it to protect Victor, but I think she's doing it to protect herself and protect her own interests. Later, after they've left the restaurant, Billy begs her not to go through with this. Like, In fact, he he knows it's not good for her. He even called the company, I, can't, I think it was, he said something like, why would you want to go work at the Newman Stress Factory? We're trying to have a stress-free life, and you want to work at the Newman Stress Factory. Like, last week, all Victoria wanted was a family, and now this week, she wants the career too. I, I, I... I just think it's um, uh, it's a lot of hubbub. I don't think it's um, gonna be good for her at all. I don't think it's. I don't. She didn't think this decision out. Period. Nobody thinks it's a good idea, Nikki doesn't think it's a good idea either. After Victoria's big announcement, she goes home with Victor, and she tells Victor about the little project that Billy and Victoria have been alluding to. Victor thinks it's going to be another company and that there'll be a conflict of interest, and Nikki says, Victor, the little project is a child. Tune into your emotions, will you? I was a little. I thought that was funny, but I was irritated that Nikki went and told Victor because she told, like, when Victoria told her that she and Billy were working, well, when Nikki guessed that Victoria and Billy were thinking about having another child, Victoria specifically said, don't tell dad. And then Nikki goes and does exactly that. But Nikki is concerned about her family, and she made a very acute observation. Nikki says, you know, to Victor that she's afraid Victoria is going to end up replacing her dreams for her family
1: with Victor's dreams for Victor's family Lauren tries to set up a, a special evening
0: at home for her and Michael she's got candles everywhere she's got on a a, a sex dress <laughs> <laughs> very red, very boobalicious, classic Lauren Fenmore. <laughs> and at first, Michael is very touched by it, but she pushes it a little too far and starts kissing on him. And Michael is uncomfortable with it. He senses that there's something off in the kiss. Oh, he had this line where he said something to the effect of, I know every kiss in your arsenal, and this one tasted like grief. You know, this... I know you. And this doesn't feel like it's coming from a place of love. I I think Lauren does want her family back. I think she has come to the realization that what she had with Michael is more important than anything else in her life, and that she would be a fool to, to throw it away. But... You also can't force that connection. They've been so very far apart. I mean, she's been so far apart, she's been in somebody else's arms. So you can't just decide that everything's gonna go back to normal and then expect it to. Emotions don't work like that. And Michael picked up on that right away and said, why don't we just try to take it slow? And he starts dancing with her in the living room. They're just slow dancing and it feels good, feels all comfortable, and they start just having little kisses. It wasn't, you know, big, I'm gonna you know, passionate kisses. It was just little. <laughs> And it starts slowly to kind of build, and Lauren has this flash in her mind of the affair with Carmine, and she pulls away. I think she probably realized she was fantasizing about Carmine while she was kissing Michael, and it startled her so much that she pulls away, and it devastated Michael, because he doesn't know what she's thinking all he knows is that when he tries to become intimate with her, she pulls away, and she can't explain it. There's, She can't tell him the truth. That would be even more devastating. So Michael takes it very, very personally, of course, and it's almost like his last straw. He tells her he thinks it's over. He, he's afraid that it's over, and that they're not really ever going to be able to get back to where they were. But I feel like it's like it's too early. It's too early to quit. I, I don't know that you've tried enough. I, I want them to try some more. The Carmine thing has only been going on for, what, um, I mean, a few weeks, maybe maybe a month, two months at tops. I don't know, in Genoa City time. But they've been married for so long. Just to have this really off horrible month and to think it's all just down the drain. I don't know. I guess your gut would tell you when it is or isn't over. But to me, it just seems too soon for them to quit. But Michael decides to leave the apartment and he goes to the bar. At On the Boulevard, where Carmine is bartending, and Carmine picks up on that like a vulture. Michael's at the bar drinking, that means Lauren's home alone, so he sends her a text message, and she takes the bait. Of course, Carmine finds yet another opportunity to drive
1: further a wedge between my favorite couple. The gambling scene, the poker table scenes, were
0: really good, I I did feel. And little details, such as the way they lit the poker table, um, the lighting of the scene was cool. It was like the poker table was lit, and you could just see kind of the glow of it on the faces of the players. It it, it, Nice little touch. It was interesting. Uh, So... It started out with three guys lamenting at the bar at On the Boulevard with Carmine slinging drinks. It was Adam and all his drama, thinking about Chelsea, probably thinking about Newman and Victor and his recovery. It was Billy. can't believe that his wife is now going back to work at Newman Enterprises, and also probably feeling a little bit at a loss for what to do with his own life. He sold Restless Style. He doesn't have a lot going on. And Michael, fresh off of this devastation with Lauren. So they're all sitting at the bar when, what do you know? Surprise, surprise, surprise. The, the owner of on the boulevard is an old gambling buddy of Billy's, and he runs on the bull, in on the boulevard a, a a sort of under the table gambling house <laughs> on the boulevard, also doubles as a gambling house. So <laughs> he has chips ready, and he suggests a a, a friendly, high-stakes poker game <laughs> to help everybody drown their sorrows. Nothing goes better with gambling than liquor, and vice versa. And... This whole thing just plays right into Billy's gambling addiction. We all know he has gambled away a lot of money, and he's gotten himself into a whole lot of trouble as a result of that, which everyone kind of knows about. Adam knows about, and... (sighs) <sighs> if it's it's like an addiction with any other thing if you take one you what's to stop you from taking two so billy very reluctant to go into a gambling game but he does it anyway mason actually showed up at the restaurant to gamble with them. What the heck was he doing there? I assumed he was just off the face of the show. Adam had fired him, so there was a little bit of tension there, but the guy's unemployed. He doesn't have any money, but he said that he was a good poker player in college, so he joined in the game. We didn't have much of a say, though. What are we going to do with Mason? He needs something or go away, one or the other. But... This game of high-stakes poker ensues. It's Adam and Billy and Mason and the bar owner who... I can't remember his name. I think it was Barry. I'm just going to call him Barry because I think that was it. And Carmine. And they're all playing the game. And Carmine ends up baiting Michael into playing too. I mean, you know Michael's not a gambling man, but Carmine had this weird antagonistic attitude toward Michael. Well, I mean, from Michael's perspective, I'm sure he's like, "Why is this guy pick kind of picking on me?" But Carmine said to to Michael, "There are two things that I'm better than you at, and one is poker." Oh, burn. Secret Uh, a subversive burn. Michael doesn't... Poor Michael! He doesn't even know what Carmine's talking about, but, oh, he... That that basically got Michael to join the game, too. And the entire time they were playing, by the way, Carmine is taunting Michael. Just saying really suggestive things to him that Michael doesn't pick up on, because he doesn't know about the affair, but this guy's sleeping with his wife, and on top of it, jabbing at him. And... Probably his larger motive was to make sure that Michael was playing the poker game so that he was occupied so that he could go see Lauren. So they're all playing the game and Billy is winning big. It's so bad for Billy because winning only makes the addiction worse. If Billy's winning, 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 that makes me worried that it's a good feeling. Feeling good. Winning, winning. And so you keep going, and you keep chasing that high. Oh, That's what worries me about him. Uh, uh, but I almost wondered, was Adam losing to Billy on purpose? Maybe trying to push him off the wagon? I'm still suspect of Adam's motive, so I can understand why everyone else was. but Or why Victoria is as well. But... The game starts to get very intense between Billy and Barry and Barry goes all in on the last hand and he throws in the keys to the on the Boulevard restaurant This is how confident he is or seemingly confident he is in the restaurant or in, I'm sorry in his hand but he's he's bluffing like Billy figures out. That hes pl- I mean, he's played with Barry before, and he knows what his tells are, and Billy figures out that Barry's bluffing. Why would Barry <laughs> go all in on a hand plus the restaurant on a bluff? That seems a little bit way too big. And <laughs> wh- how is Billy going to explain this one away? If he wins the hand, he's got a restaurant now. And furthermore, why would Billy... Let Adam have something to hold over his head. Why would you want to indulge in your vice with Adam, who's the brother of your wife, who doesn't know about any of this? Why would you let Adam in? Why would you let him have that to hang over your head? (sighs) Plus, On the Boulevard cannot be that great of a restaurant if if, if Barry is just willing to part with it so easily. Uh, Who even wants that? Who wants the hassle of a restaurant? Like... If you don't know how to run a restaurant, it can drain your finances quick. But Billy wins the hand. It's not hardly even a prize to me. If somebody handed me a restaurant, I'd be like, great, what am I going to do with this? Sell it. That's what I would do. But I watch way too much of the Food Network and I and Restaurant Impossible and I know how difficult they must be to run based on my TV experience because that's how I base everything in my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Billy wins the hand and becomes the proud new owner of On the Boulevard, goes home, realizes that he's gonna have to tell Victoria. She pretty much pries it out of him, and she is really annoyed. She sees this as an impulsive activity. He doesn't tell her that he won it in a gambling bet. He tells her that he bought a restaurant. And she's like, you bought a restaurant without discussing with me? And she goes on and on about Billy making monumental decisions without her. So hypocritical. She just did the same thing to him. Yet Billy just puts his tail between his legs and begs her to get on board with the restaurant. (sighs) He goes the next day to meet Barry there to sign away the papers and all that, and Victoria is reticent but decides to go along with it because... Barry makes the comment that this is Billy's true calling that he's a people person and this is going to be good for him. And I'm just worried that it's now going to be a front operation for more gambling. <sighs> Billy is such an idiot. I he's a lovable idiot, but he is an idiot. Like he he starts signing the contracts without even reading them. Like the place could be in huge debt. Billy could be taking on a mo- a, a, a monumental debt. That he doesn't even realize. I I mean, I hate to be down on Billy because I do think that he would be a great restaurant owner. He is a people person. I just wish that the decision were born out of, yay, and not out of, I'm drunk and I want to listen to a gambling game. <laughs> you know? Ugh. Good luck to him. Uh, good luck Millie with on the boulevard. Uh, please just once you take ownership, can you please just rename it? I I hate the name. And while you're at it, maybe you could redecorate it too because not everything in Genoa City has to be blue. We've got so many new sets and they're all blue. Like <laughs> let's let's rename the place. Let's redecorate the place and while you're at it,
1: can you please fire Carmine Fen comes back after being gone for how long was he gone? He just
0: caused all of this trouble in Michael and Lauren's marriage, and then he disappeared, and now he's back in the wake of the special evening that Michael walked out on after it went up in flames. And Fen sees Lauren there alone, upset, realizes that Michael isn't there and deduces that Michael just walked out on her and immediately sees Lauren as the victim. He only sees that Lauren has set up the special night and Michael isn't there. So he demonizes his father. It's just so much easier to make it look like Lauren is the victim and Lauren's not the victim here. Then, grates on my nerves in a couple of different ways. Like, as soon as he starts going on and on bad and Michael, I'm like, this is why I'm not happy to see him. I'm not even happy to see him. He's been gone forever, and now he's back. And I'm like, ew, go away again, please. It's all about... You know, Lauren is trying and Michael isn't, and he fends bitter, and then he leaves. And right after he leaves, Carmine shows up at the front door. This is getting way too risky. He shows up at her front door, practically with his fly unzipped, ready to be friends with her, ready to comfort her. And she, again, tells him no, even shows him a picture of her family and says, this is what I'm fighting for. I want to get my marriage back together. And, of course, before that happened, uh, they managed to sneak in a few kisses and some light air humping, signifying that they are still attracted to one another, but Lauren is trying to do what's right. And while they're doing their... Little dance that their little affair dance that they're doing. Michael is coming home from the poker game. He's outside the front door while Lauren and Carmine are inside touching. <sighs> I swear, I thought he was going to open right up and walk in and see it. And the, that was going to be the end of everything. But Michael gets as far as putting his key near the door and changes his mind and leaves. And shortly after that, Carmine leaves, goes to Crimson Lights and walks up on Fenn, who's there, and tries to strike up a conversation with Fen. <laughs> Carmine! is like a disease creeping his way into every little area, every
1: little nook and cranny of Lauren's life. Tyler kissed Lily, but Lily kissed him back. It wasn't
0: just a uh, touching of lips and then pulling apart. She reached up and grabbed his head, and they were full-on kissing. I, I'm i shocked. I feel like the last... Uh, since Tyler and Lily have been working together, I've seen him lusting after her, and to me, she has just been very robotic. Just... Uh, blank-eyed. I have not sensed the lusting back on her part. Maybe that's just me. I know some other people are feeling it hardcore, and that's awesome. But for me, I'm just like, I'm not feeling the chemistry here. And to see Lily kissing him back was very, very shocking for me. And it it didn't last (laughs) very long. They pulled apart and Felt Lily felt guilty immediately. Tyler was probably relieved and really hoping for more. Uh, but they talked a little bit. He said, you know, she tried to play it off as, if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. You just were feeling lonely and drunk, and that's why that happened. It wasn't anything that there was a connection between us. She's in denial that there's any kind of connection between them. But Tyler says, it wasn't just... I wasn't looking for just anyone. I was looking for you. And he was pretty upfront without being blatant. And Lily just shuts it down, says, this cannot happen again. Let's just forget it ever happened. And we're just going to be friends. Yeah, right. (laughs) Sure. You can just turn it on and off just like that. (laughs) But Tyler really has no choice. He decides to go out to the bar, to the underground, and suddenly he's met a new girl. He's overnight got a new girlfriend. I mean, in fact, he had two women fighting over him at the underground. So it signifies that Tyler has no problem getting women. Obviously, he's gorgeous. And I mean, the more I look at the actor, the more it is like, dang, he is really good looking. (laughs) So it's not that he has any trouble with the ladies. It's that he wants Lily. Lily is special. And I guess... Lily kind of wants him, too, because later they're at work at Restless Style, and the new girlfriend shows up to invite Tyler to a late lunch. I think it's rude for her to show up at his place of work after just meeting him. She she feels like she could be stalkerish or, uh, I don't know, super possessive or something, but Lily was clearly a little jealous at seeing him with another girl. And she was compensating, overcompensating uh, for it. She's encouraging him to go for it. Oh, yeah, you should definitely go be with that girlfriend. And then Kane calls, and she's taking a call from him and just being over the top, rubbing it in. Like, I'm so happy, right? I'm so happy. But Tyler is no dummy. He knows that she kissed him back. And he sees right through what she's doing now. I think Tyler realizes fully that he
1: has just opened up the floodgate and there is no going back. Gus and Leslie are roommates
0: now, roomies. And Gus is getting on Leslie's nerves. I mean, it obviously can't be... <laughs> easy to live with someone who is a con- you know a convict and uh, who was kind of a verbally or mentally abusive father? They are really skipping ahead here. I think Leslie is really trying to force this relationship a little bit too much. And th- I think it is a situation where they're both just trying too hard. Gus is, she comes home from a date with Neil, and Gus is in the kitchen making spaghetti, and it's just really loud, and he's so big and like gangly, and it's just, it's not working. I, I mean, he has good intentions, but he's Kind of messing up and cramping her style, and they're both really touchy about certain things. There, it's not a, a, it's not an easy fit. Uh, Leslie goes into the kitchen and sees that Gus has a box stored in a cabinet, and she picks it up looks at it, and it's taped up closed. But Gus walks in and sees her and immediately jumps all over her like, this. that's mine, you know, you you have some respect. This is my stuff, and I don't want you snooping. And it it was, he really, really jumped all over her, and it made me so concerned, like, what's in the box? (laughs) You know, he told her, that it was personal effects, letters, books, you know, little trinkets, you know, the things we all have, memories. But I don't know. There was a part of me that, I, maybe it's just my suspicious nature, but I thought, could it be drugs? Or, and I like us, don't get me wrong, but I just know that there's always another twist around the corner, and my instinct says, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> now, every time they turn around, they're tripping over each other. Neil is trying to mediate, but, I mean, Gus is driving her crazy. Um, Neil suggests that maybe they just go out to breakfast, try to have a good time, and ease off some of the pressure. And... They're sitting at the table, and Gus, it really made me sad. He was just, like, had kind of these weird table manners. He was feeling like he had to guard his coffee, like someone was going to take it from him. I mean, he's been in jail for a decade. He's not assimilated. I mean, it would be difficult to assimilate into life in the outside world, like, of a lower-middle-class family. But these are high-class, rich people, and now he's in this swank Restaurant and he's his, his his manners are a little off and his instincts are a little off and there was this I really need you guys to help me out with this because there was a scene where Leslie is stirring her coffee with the spoon and she takes the spoon out of the coffee and sets it on the table and Gus immediately says baby and like he gets frustrated with her and he goes to touch the spoon and like flips it over onto the other side. Like, so that it's face down. And she's so, so upset she, like, leaves the table. I don't get it. Like, I didn't get the spoon thing. Was it that, like, that... Was that another uh, habit from being in jail? Or was he implying that she had bad table I don't get it. What was the spoon thing? Somebody, please, please, please tell me. I mean, I get overall that it means <laughs> that they are clashing. But I just didn't understand the specifics. Still, though... They're trying to make it work. They go back to the apartment and they decide, you know, we're, we're going to, I mean, Gus has offered to leave, but Leslie wants him to stay. She wants to work on it. And just as they get back to the apartment, out of nowhere, Gus is like unable to breathe. He's like having chest pains. I don't know if he's like in the middle of having a heart attack. I don't know if he is
1: getting ready to die, but if he does die, does that mean we'll get to figure out what's in the box? Sure enough, Detective Chavez
0: comes asking questions at the coffeehouse of Chloe about the box of charitable donations that happened to go missing from the Chancellor House. Obviously, he would question them. Kevin and Chloe are Genoa City's most suspicious couple. They should get some kind of award for this. But Chavez is up in Chloe's face with a little one-on-one time, putting on the heat in more ways than one. I love him and Chloe. That is the relationship that needs to happen. Though That is the couple to watch. But Alex makes Chloe paranoid. She's paranoid because she knows she took it. She knows she's guilty. And so she goes to Kevin to try to uh, tell him, you know, we got we got to be careful, more careful. And guess what? Kevin has he's all proud of himself because he's now presenting her with a necklace or a bracelet or something I can't remember what that he stole. He's like, "I got a surprise for you." He gives it to her and it's some a piece of jewelry that he stole. And coming off of this uh, interrogation with Detective Chavez, she is paranoid. She's like, where did you get this? Why would you do this? And Kevin says that he happened into someone's house who didn't lock the door. So, now Kevin is just breaking into people's houses. I mean, that's still stealing. It's still breaking in. It's still thieving. And he has somehow justified it in his mind. Chloe tells him to stop. And Kevin actually said something about how, well, our relationship wasn't interesting until this. Until the stealing. What? I mean, (laughs) it's true from a viewing standpoint. Their relationship is not interesting. But what kind of person needs to misbehave in order to find a relationship satisfying? It is cuckoo for Coco Puffs. Now, I will admit that the Chloe and Kevin stealing thing has, there are some choice moments between the stealing and the the Chloe um, uh, trying to pro- push Chelsea toward duping Dylan. These are all bad behaviors by Chloe, but I will admit that it has been kind of cool to see Chloe being funny and sassy and naughty, but her relationship with
1: Kevin, it is over. He knows it. She knows it. And we've known it for a while now. Okay, my podcast friends. That is just about
0: the end for this week. For me, anyway, you are more than welcome to continue our conversation by leaving me a comment, feeding back, let me know what you think about this week's show. You can do that a couple of different ways. You are uh, certainly welcome to call into the voicemail line and leave a voice message. The telephone number is area code 309 4569. That's within the US. So it is country code one. Or you can go to my blog and leave a comment on the posting for this week's podcast. Uh, you could also see the video part of the um, podcast there, the video portion. It's yrchatblog.blogspot.com to check that out. Or you can send me an email to yrchatlive.com. That's all of the info, and I think that's all for me. I hope that you guys are having a really good week. I hope it's nice and springy and sunny (laughs) where you are. It's been a whole lot of rain and gloom where I am, but the sun's peeking out today, so I think I'm going to go maybe try to get some yard work done. But I'm definitely looking forward to seeing everything that's going to happen next week. It's heating up. (laughs) Isn't it May Sweeps? Isn't May Sweeps supposed to be right around the corner?
1: I'm feeling it. Feeling it. Feeling it. (sighs) Okay, you guys. I love you. I'll see you next week. Bye.